Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Today we are in Acts chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, as we consider that question, what does it mean he descended into hell? Um, uh, Before we begin preaching, I'd just like to say thank you to everybody who submitted questions. Um, I think we had some great questions over the last uh, nine or ten weeks that we have discussed. Um, If you missed some of the questions, they are available, all my sermons for the last Several years are available. You can find the link through the church's Facebook page. Or if you prefer not to go that way, you can ask me and I'll send you the link uh, to the main hosting site. But um, we've had some great questions. As we move forward after the questions, we'll probably take probably about a four-week look at the Lord's Prayer before we uh, move into Advent. It's hard to believe that after today, Advent's only four or five weeks away. But it is quickly upon us. Um, No music yet, please. Don't want to hear the songs quite yet. Don't want to get sick of them quite yet. But Advent will be here quicker than we understand, quicker than we know. It will help if I actually turn to Acts chapter 2 as well as you. Um, But today we will begin reading in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Hear God's word. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, And has poured out what you now see and hear. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, the church has proclaimed uh, throughout its history your truth. And today we look at one of the lines in the Apostles' Creed. He descended into hell, which oftentimes can be a difficult statement to understand, a difficult statement to know what it means. But help us today, Lord, to see not only what it means, but to see how that affects our life, to see how that truth brings us comfort in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you take comfort in Jesus' death? Now, many of us find comfort in the forgiveness that God is able to give because of Jesus' death on the cross. Many of us find comfort in the grace 
that was poured out from the cross and the blood that cleanses and the body that was torn. And we should. We should find great comfort in the fact that because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we are able to have grace from God. We are able to find forgiveness. But sometimes as we consider that comfort, we forget the comfort that the cross should bring to our daily life. And so today, as we're going to look at this phrase, he descended into hell and and see that it is difficult to understand, that it is sometimes controversial to understand. We are, I hope, going to see how its meaning brings comfort, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, to us, not only in our salvation, but in our daily walk. And in doing so, as we consider that comfort, we will consider a brief history of the Apostles' Creed, We will look at some interpretations of this particular passage, and then we'll see what the larger catechism teaches about this particular phrase. First, a brief history of the Apostles' Creed. Now, for us, the Apostles' Creed is part of our weekly life. It's something that we say frequently throughout the church. It's something that many of us in here have memorized um, because we have said it so frequently. But where did the Apostles' Creed come from? While the creed has been used in the church for over 1500 years, it was something that grew as the early church grew. As people came to faith in Christ and wanted to join in membership to the church, there had to be a certain level of truth that they had to profess in order to be able to join the church. And in different churches throughout uh, the early church history, different summaries of the truth that while parallel in many respects, would have been different in words. And ultimately, two creeds came to be summaries of the truth of the church. At the councils of Nicaea and Constantinople in the 4th century AD, uh, where it was discussed who Jesus was, was he fully God, was he fully man, was he some combination of the two, Um, the creed of Nicaea, the Nicene creed, was developed between those two councils. In what we know as the Eastern Church or the Orthodox Church, whether it's Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Antiochian Orthodox, or whatever different strain of Orthodox Church there is, the Nicene creed is the summary of truth that must be professed in order to be a member, in order to be embraced by the church as a member of, of the church. Occasionally we will profess the Nicene Creed as our profession of faith. But in the Western Church, in the church that we know today as the Catholic and the Protestant Church, the Roman Catholic and the Protestant Church, the Apostles' Creed is what became known as the rule of faith, the rule of truth in the church. And in the earliest accounts of church history and the earliest writing down of what we now know as the Apostles' Creed, which was originally known as the Roman rule, um, he descended into hell is a late addition to the phrase. It showed up um, in the 5th century, somewhere around the early 5th century, around 404 A.D. It's actually attributed to Athanasius. Um, who was at the the Nicene Council, the Council of Nicaea uh, in the 4th century. 
because it shows up in a creed that is attributed to him. The problem with that is the creed actually didn't show up until the 5th or 6th century in the church, somewhere between 50 to 150 years after Athanasius died. It would be very difficult for Athanasius to write a creed that he was dead long before it was written. Um, Hopefully we understand that. But... As we have this rule of truth of what we believe in the church that we profess on a regular basis in the church, it's good for us to understand what each of these phrases means. And so over the history of the church, there have been multiple interpretations of what this means, many of them based upon what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.19 when he's talking of the flood and how the souls in prison were preached to. Now, I'm going to give three um, different interpretations of the creed that are based upon this. Understanding, please understand, I'm going to tell you that these are wrong as we move forward, that they're based upon a bad interpretation of 1 Peter 3.19. And I'm going to ask you to trust me on that. A, a good interpretation of 1 Peter 3.19 is going to take a lot more time than we have today. We'll get to it one day. Don't don't worry about that. We will get to it at some point. Uh, But please trust me today that it's a bad interpretation of first Peter 319. The first is the Catholic view of he descended into hell. The Catholic view teaches that Jesus in both his body and his soul went to the realm of Hades. Now, it's important for us to understand the difference between Hades and hell. There are two to three words in the original languages that are translated into the English word hell. Um, And one of them is the Greek word Hades, which is based off the Hebrew word Sheol, which just simply means this realm of the dead where the souls of the dead go to reside in between the time that they die and the end of the world. Catholic faith teaches that Jesus in both his body and his soul went into the realm of Hades where the souls of the Old Testament saints awaited salvation. While he was there, he preached the gospel to these Old Testament souls to which they were saved and then taken to paradise. There's some problems with that. Where was Jesus' body in the three days that he was dead? It was in the grave. We're taught in Scripture that his body resided in the grave. So his body could not have gone to hell What was necessary for the Old Testament saints to be taken to paradise by the gospel? Well, for somebody like Abraham, it was literally belief in God or believing God and believing God that he would be the God who would keep his promises. That was the bar for faith. And salvation was accomplished on the cross when Jesus says it is finished. In Lutheran thought, Jesus went to Hades to proclaim his victory over Satan and his minions, as well as their condemnation, both on the cross and in the resurrection. Satan's defeat, as well as his condemnation, are proclaimed loudly and clearly. And the Church of England says that Jesus went to the spirits in prison to proclaim his good news. Very much, very similar, but but somewhat different, somewhat nuanced from the Catholic view. More than likely, this passage in First Peter speaks of Noah's declaration of repentance to his own generation. And like I said, we'll flesh that out in a different time. But there are some problems with these. First off, where did Jesus tell the thief they would be that very day? They would be in paradise together. 
And secondly, we are appointed once to die and then to stand before the judgment. There is no second chance of hearing the gospel for those who have passed away. So. In looking to see what this means, we must look to the documents that we. Affirm as valid and valuable summaries of Christian truth, and for us, that is the Westminster Standards, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Larger Catechism and the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And today we're going to look at Westminster Larger Catechism, question 50. I do have to say today, and I don't mean to complain, and I really shouldn't let you guys see behind the curtain, but this was a difficult thing to understand and to learn. Because a lot of theologians today just kind of cash this in. They they look, uh, in fact, I, I consulted one book by a, a modern day theologian who I want to give him every benefit of the doubt. He is a very brilliant man, very smart man. But his his section in his book on the Apostles Creed on this particular statement said people have argued about it for centuries. We're not really sure what it means. Say it or don't say it as you please. Um, So this was a little bit difficult one. So if it's not as clear as you were hoping it would be, please understand that um, while I'm standing on a good foundation, There's not a lot to the building that's built upon that foundation, but I'm going to do my best. Question 50 of the Westminster Larger Catechism says, how was Christ humiliated after his death? Now, we look at Christ's ministry in his ministry of humiliation, in his ministry of exaltation. Christ's humiliation consists in him being born on this earth as a human, in having to keep the law, in having to suffer on the cross. And also in actually dying, which is covered in the creed when it says he was crucified, dead and buried. So how was Christ humiliated after his death? The catechism answers Christ's humiliation after death involved his being buried and continuing in a state of being dead and under the power of death until the third day. This period is referred to in the word. He descended into hell. About 150 years ago, something changed in American Christianity. And that is our understanding of the word hell. Now, we have always had an understanding of the lake of fire, that that place of eternal torment where Satan and his minions, as well as the souls who reject the gospel, who reject Jesus throughout all eternity, will reside for eternity in that lake of fire. But before about 150 years ago, we had an understanding of the difference between Hades and what we now today consider to be hell. And we typically considered that in the word hell. We had a difference between hell and the lake of fire, hell being that realm of the dead that is reflected in the Hebrew word Sheol and the Greek word Hades. I promise you that's about the last bit of Greek and Hebrew I'll give you for a while. But there is something unnatural about death. And we consider oftentimes the physical unnaturalness of death. Death is a part of the curse that God placed upon this earth because of sin. And each and every one of us, unless Jesus were to return, will suffer that. For our own sin. 
for for the sin that has come into the world and that God has declared that humanity will suffer death because of sin is in the world and for our own sin. And we understand the physical aspects, the physical agony of death. But did you know there's a spiritual agony to death as well? Now, the the catechism affirms that at death, the believer, their soul is transported directly to the presence of God. We are in paradise, just like the thief upon the cross. But that reality, do you understand, is an unnatural reality. We are not a spirit that is just housed in a fleshly vehicle. We are not just trying to break the bonds of this mortal shell to be transported to some higher level of spiritual disembodied existence. We are a human in the fact that we are a body and soul united into one entity. And death is the separation of body and soul in an unnatural, somewhat agonizing way. Part of the descending into hell, at least as in that time between his death and his resurrection, is that Jesus continued under the power of death for a time. He continued under that curse of body and soul being separated for a time. And while he was in paradise, brothers and sisters, don't get me wrong. That's what we are taught in scripture. There was still an unnaturalness to that. There was still an aspect of that that is a that is a result of the curse that exists upon humanity because sin has entered the world. Part of the agony of death, part of descending into hell is 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 being separated body and soul. And suffering under death for a time. But brothers and sisters, thanks be to God, this was not the end because we have Christ's exaltation as well. That he was reunited, that that death could not keep his hold upon Jesus. Death could not maintain that separation between the body of Jesus and the soul of Jesus. And on that glorious third day, they were reunited in glorified, in a glorified, perfected body. That was no longer touched by the ravages of sin, no longer touched by the ravages of sickness, of death, of decay. He did not suffer decay. And in doing that, he defeated the last enemy. What is the last enemy to be defeated? It's death. We await the day when we no longer suffer under the agonies of death. So what does it mean when the when the creed says he descended into hell? It means this. Not only did he suffer physical death, but he suffered the spiritual pains And pangs and agonies of death as well. Every aspect of our death has been suffered by Jesus. And defeated by Jesus. Which means that one day when he returns. We will no longer live in this unnatural state. Of either a fleshly body that will die. Or a body that has died. We will be reunited body and soul. We will be resurrected body and soul. 
will be put back together for all eternity to either suffer the pains of hell, the pains of the lake of fire for our rebellion or the glories of presence with God. But so what? We've seen a history. We've seen some wrong interpretations of it. I've done my best at giving a right interpretation based upon how we understand scripture. But so what? What does it matter that we profess on a very regular basis? He descended into hell. For that, I turn us back to the the Heidelberg Catechism. Question 44 that's found in your bulletin that we read together today. We think of death as a one time event in the life of every human being. I read a book when I was in college. In fact, it was one of my favorite uh, trilogies of books while I was in college. Oddly enough, I picked it up again about two years ago and I thought, you know what? This is just horrible. Why did I ever like this? But there was a character in this particular book and it was a sci fi fantasy type book. And the character had 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 this horrible accident. And he came out of this accident with the ability to only see death in everything that he saw. He looked at a beautiful person and all he could see was the decay that surrounded them. He looked at a beautiful sunset and all he could see was the eventual decay and shutting off of the sun. He looked at a beautiful flower and all he could see was that flower dead under feet of snow. All he ever saw was death. Life's like that, isn't it? If we think about it, we suffer a little bit of death every day. We ache. We get sick. We pray for people with terminal diagnoses. We pray for young children who have an undiagnosed disease And are undergoing what for us would be horrendous treatment. We know people who wrestle and struggle under the weight of their own mind. And the glory in saying he descended into hell. Is that whatever diagnosis we come across. Whatever ache we suffer. Whatever emotional turmoil we go through. Whatever act that death tries to force and to foil upon us, even if it seems victorious, has been defeated, has been experienced by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and has been defeated. He has descended into the hell that our world can be and arisen victorious. We are assured in times of personal crisis In times of personal temptation, that Christ our Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, unspeakable pain, unspeakable terror of the soul, especially on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from the anguish and the torment of hell. He has delivered me from the anguish and torment of sickness. He has delivered me from the anguish and torment of depression. He has delivered me from the anguish and torment of that unnatural state of my body and soul being separated. Brothers and sisters, this brings us great comfort when we proclaim 
on a regular basis that he descended into hell. Because we remember the next statement. On the third day, he rose again. Let us pray. Our God and Father above. What glorious truth. That your son remained under the power of death for a time. It reminds us that our remaining under a power of death, whether it be the death of living in this world or the, our actual death, will have an end. That we will be raised victorious. That we will be reunited body and soul never to suffer under the power of death again for those who believe. Keep us from missing the glory of the creed as we proclaim it on a regular basis. Keep us from missing the glory of the truths that are proclaimed in that creed. And keep us seeing the glories that you have for us, even in the difficult doctrines. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.